A very warm welcome to the Baltic Triangle podcast, wherever you're listening. From me, Mark Reeson. And me, Mick Ord. This is the place where we hear from Liverpool City region's doers, rather than the so-called movers and shakers. And this month we have two fascinating interviews to give you inspiration and hope during these troubled times. Absolutely. Shortly we'll be hearing from the CEO of the ADHD Foundation, a national charity based in Liverpool, which is doing some fantastic work on neurodiversity. Every successful organisation requires a, a, a kaleidoscopic, diff, you know, sort of collection of people who bring something new to the table. And I think the really interesting thing that's happened now, Mick, is that a lot of boardrooms have realised that if you just have everybody around the table who is of like mind and who agrees with you all the time, that all you're going to get is more of the same. And we live in a rapidly changing technology-driven world, a rapidly changing economy, a rapidly changing job market, actually we do need to think differently and we need to challenge ourselves to say, well, okay, that what we've got there might have been great and fit for purpose and profitable then, but does it work now? Because actually our customers' needs have changed. And we'll be hearing more from Tony shortly. Mark's been talking to Jake Nolan of Space by Liquid, a high-quality photographic studio based in the Baltic with ambitious plans to use the space to host exhibitions, video shoots and other creative projects. So we've, we've only been out in about two months, but we've had plenty of cool stuff in there. Um, and yeah, what's great is, I mean, for us, you know, we've proved that we can do it and it's a viable business, but also we've proved that there is a need for something this high-quality in Liverpool and in the Baltic. And of course, we'll be hearing from Jake in a couple of minutes. Well, I didn't really want to talk about football, but seeing as though your team, Fulham, is top of the championship and my team, Everton, is very quickly descending into the relegation zone. In fact, we're there already. I think we ought to at least give 15 seconds to talk about it. So you start. Well, I very much hope that I don't pass you on the way up. Um, that would be a terrible thing for the city. Um, but, you know, uh, you don't seem to be able to buy a win at the moment, do you, Mick? No, no. I mean, I said to me mates about two months ago, I think we're going to go down, and I I got uh, metaphorically kicked all over the ground for that. I do think we're going to go down. Hopefully by the time people listen to this, we'll have got a few more results choked up. But I'm not that confident, mate. Do you think you will go up? Well, I hope so. I mean, we've got a nice little cushion there at the minute and uh, we are we are doing very, very well. But uh, listen, it's never over until it's over, Mick. So fingers crossed, huh? <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. And by the way, we've got some uh, information which we're going to give out towards the end of the podcast. We are looking for sponsors. We had a great three months with Talk Talk Future Fibre. Um, that contract is finished now. So we are looking for people to sponsor this particular podcast. We've been going for nearly three years now, mate. The ADHD Foundation is the country's leading neurodiversity charity, offering what they call a lifespan service to the estimated one in five people, yeah, that's right, 20% of people who live with ADHD. That's autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalcula and Tourette's syndrome. And it's based right here in the heart of the Baltic Triangle area of Liverpool. ADHD, of course, stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. 
Over the past couple of years, you may have noticed the wonderful collection of umbrellas above your head on Church Alley, just off Bold Street, and indeed other places. And the aim is to help raise awareness of the support and training that the Foundation gives to people on the spectrum. They do some great work with individuals, families, and the public and private sectors. Dr Tony Lloyd, who himself has ADHD, is the CEO and he's been telling me about how the Foundation supports businesses and also about his own experience of the condition. I was born and bred in Anfield. Dad was a, a merchantman like most people who were born in the 60s. Um, and um, I was, uh, uh, I suppose, what was described as an academically gifted kid. Um, but I always underachieved at school. Um, I didn't know then that I had ADHD, so um, when it came to exams, I always really did badly and would often get a lot of stick because I was expected to be a grade A student and I wasn't. And um, when you say you got stick from the teachers, yeah, I'm you know I'm from my parents, and um, and then. The anxiety of all of that and some other things that happened to me, I ended up having quite a bad breakdown when I was at school. I missed school um, and had to go back to school sort of a year later and finish my exams uh, and was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to go to university. And then thankfully in this country, and I mean, I realized when I was about 29 that I had ADHD, but you couldn't get a diagnosis for adults then because until 2003 in the UK, some doctor somewhere had decided that this was a childhood condition and on your 16th birthday, you no longer had it, which we know is complete nonsense. We know that people with ADHD and dyslexia and dyspraxia have brains that are structurally and functionally different. Um, and we recognize now that some of those differences can be a real asset, but sometimes they can be really challenging. If what were you the don't know what they are. What were the manifestations of your condition then? Um, obviously a bit hyperactive. I'm a workaholic, which is probably why 35% of business owners have either ADHD or dyslexia or both. It's what we used to call workaholics, but actually people who tend to have a lot of energy and drive. So hyperactivity can also be a really positive thing. Um, impulsive, so quick-witted, quick-thinking. Um, but sometimes without understanding the consequences of your thinking, no yeah, no filter. No filter. Um, and um, I mean, inattentive in the sense that very forgetful, very forgetful, um, which is not good in an exam. But in an information technology age where I have a smartphone at the end of my hand that can give me access to every bit. So it doesn't matter that I don't have a great memory, but it mattered when I was a little boy at school. Um, so uh, it was tough at, as, a, as a child. Uh, I realized about 29, I learned a lot about it and how to manage it. And then in 2003, in this country, they changed the law so that adults could get a diagnosis. And for those that needed to use medication to help them with ADHD, they were given access to that. And not everybody does, but it works for me. Um, and I and I still take Ritalin, and I don't think I could do my job without it, if I'm being really honest, me. And talk us a little bit now about the ADHD Foundation, which, of course, your headquarters in here is here in Liverpool, in the lovely building here where the women's organisation is also based mm -hmm. on St. James's Street. You work with 
the public sector and you work with the private sector as well. Just yeah. talk us through a little bit about the work that you do in terms of education, supporting people. Okay. Well, we were quite pioneering in saying that, you know, when it comes to particularly people with ADHD, although we work with, because these differences co-occur, so a lot, half of people with ADHD also have dyslexia, for example. We know that about 60% of people on the autism spectrum also meet the diagnostic criteria for ADHD. There's a lot of overlap with all of these things. But, you know, you've met one person with this condition. You've met one person because we're all the product of our experience as well as our unique brains. Um, and we were advocates for this idea that we shouldn't separate in, certainly in childhood health, education and social care that actually the needs of children and how we raise and educate and socialize children to be happy, healthy human beings who can make a, a successful transition into adulthood and thrive as adults and be good parents and be good citizens and have a career and be economically independent. That in really our 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 health service, our education system, our social services were were all completely separate and they all had their own KPIs and they all did their own thing, but actually children need all of those services, but they were never really joined together. So we were big advocates of what we called a, you know, an integrated multidisciplinary approach. Um, so our we have a lifespan clinic in, in Merseyside, which is unique in the UK. We support families right across the lifespan, including in old age and um and in very early years uh, and that that support is both educational um, health and and supportive and the idea is that if you can help people understand themselves and learn how to play to their strengths then rather than disabling them with negative labels or defining them by what they can't do which is what used to happen in our schools we now talk in terms of different abilities and helping young people to play to their strengths and recognize what they can do. Um, and also understand that, you know, intelligence means many different things. And having a first class degree might mean you've got a lot of knowledge about one thing, but it doesn't mean you've got a lot of knowledge or intelligence about everything else. And having a degree doesn't necessarily say what kind of person you are what your character is, what your integrity is, whether you'd make a great employee or a great business leader. Um, you know, we're recognizing that it's not just about your ability to pass an exam. It's a lot of a lot of things that make up what we now think of as human intelligence. Now, from what you say, it seems we've come a fairly long way over the past sort of 20 years mm -hmm. or so in understanding yeah. neurodiversity. I'm particularly interested in uh, how you liaise with businesses and how you think we've got far to go within our big organizations in terms of having a policy that is mutually beneficial to everybody. It's not just the public sector, yeah. of course, who you deal with. Well, I think, again, it's a recognition, isn't it? I know there are many business owners who've said, well, you know, we've done that thing where we ask for a CV and we decide what's the minimum level of qualification and that's the first sift and we sift out the ones that haven't got a qualification and then we bring the rest for interview and we do a structured interview and then we decide that, you know, whether they're the right person for the role. 
And most businesses and major growth businesses are recognizing that that's not really the best way to recruit anymore. Um, I had a meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago with a global retailer um, who have a big store in Liverpool who said that they'd just done a, a recruitment campaign. They'd spent four days going through 400 CVs for eight jobs that they had that were customer facing on the shop floor. And I said, why did you do that? Why didn't you just ask them to send in a three-minute face-to-camera introduction about themselves and what they could do? Because you're looking for people who've got really good communication skills and an ability to sell to customers in your store. Wouldn't it have been easier to get that from a three-minute video clip rather than going through 430 CVs? And they looked at me and mentioned, we'd never really thought about that. So it's about understanding that when we're looking at particular roles or particular competencies you know any employer will tell you that you know certain competencies are valued in 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 a certain context I wouldn't employ somebody who had dyscalculia to be an accountant I wouldn't employ somebody to be who had dyslexia to be a proofreader but equally I wouldn't employ somebody who had a degree in engineering necessarily to work in a job where they're customer facing on a shop floor so it's about well actually what are people's skills and how do we assess those skills and make them a good fit for the job? And what we're seeing now in industry is a much more dynamic and personalized approach to learning because young people are much more values driven now. And, you know, they're coming to interviews and asking you what your policy is on the environment, what your policy is on inclusion and what your policy is on LGBTQ and everything else. And they are much more concerned about enjoying their job and having a sense of purpose and doing something that's meaningful. Um, yes, we all work for a salary, but I'm pretty sure there are lots of people who are going to be listening to this podcast who've done a job where it didn't matter how good the salary was, it made them that unhappy. They knew that they needed to move on. So we know that you know what we do for a living and our you know our economic independence is not just about how much money we get it's about am i being useful do i feel like i'm developing am i really contributing to whatever it is that that you know that that, that i'm striving to do so in every company you know i mean it's we all know that in every company you have lots of different people with lots of different skills who do different roles you have your hr people you have your engineers you have your designers every successful organization requires a, a, a kaleidoscopic diff, you know sort of collection of people who bring something new to the table and I think the really interesting thing that's happened now Mick is that a lot of boardrooms have realized that if you just have everybody around the table who is of like mind and who agrees with you all the time that all you're going to get is more of the same and we live in a rapidly changing technology driven world a rapidly changing economy a rapidly changing job market actually we do need to think differently and we need to challenge ourselves to say well okay that what we've got there might have been great and fit for purpose and profitable then but does it work now because actually our customers needs have changed the market has changed supply chains have changed and what are our creative uh, ways of not just dealing with different challenges but actually how can we anticipate trends how can we set trends how can we find new markets we can tell customers 
you might not think you need this, but this is going to make a huge difference to your life and actually drive that innovation. And how can you support companies? How can you advise companies as the ADHD Foundation? If you, if I've yeah. got somebody listening to the podcast who thinks, well, I'd like to do something, but I'm not really sure about yeah. where I fit into yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people think that we just work with naughty children because there's that horrible old stigmatizing, enduring myth, which is not the case at all. Um, we work with um, individuals, children, adults, uh, who have dyslexia, autism, dyspraxia, not just ADHD. That's why we're also called the neurodiversity charity, um, because they say these things frequently co-occur. So it's very rare you have somebody who's just got ADHD. But what we do for businesses is help businesses understand that whether they're aware of it or not, they already have a neurodiverse workforce because most people who are out there who are neurodiverse don't even know they're neurodiverse. There are certainly a lot of very successful people out there who would never identify as having ADHD or dyslexia or dyspraxia because they've chosen careers that play to their strengths. They've been successful, but they don't identify with that, that child who they used to see in the special needs class because that assumption was that if you were special needs you weren't very bright and you weren't very employable and we know that that's not the case so we do a lot of training for businesses across the country and globally now as well around understanding that actually the best way to optimize employee performance the best way to understand your customers needs the best way to innovate is to actually recognize that we need to get the best out of people and different people bring different strengths and different cognitive abilities and competencies to the table. How do we get the best out of them? And how do we put together a dynamic team where you've got all these different minds who actually work together because we know that often they're often the most creative kind of collectives. Um, so we provide a lot of training for businesses as well as NHS and particularly the education sector, of course. Um, but it is about enabling people rather than disabling people and enabling people to understand how to play to their strengths, how to overcome the challenges they might have, how somebody with dyslexia using assistive technology like Office 365 or whatever can help you overcome that. And, I, you know, the example I always use, Mick, is, you know, if any of the listeners to this program wear glasses and I was to say to them, if I took your glasses away from you, would you be able to do your job? And they probably say no. And I say, well, just by giving you a pair of spectacles, we've removed that that barrier to you being able to do your job. So why can't we use technology or whatever else to enable people to be the best that they can be, rather than just say, well, you know, I'm looking for this type of competency when actually there could be somebody here who's got incredible skills and talent. They might not be fantastic at everything, but you know, for heaven's sake, nobody is. We need teams of people who bring different things to the table. So it's about helping businesses to understand that, how, you know, helping businesses as well look at things like cognitive profiling as a way of looking at a job role and saying, right, what, actually, what kind of skills do I need for this job role? Not just as somebody got a degree or not, but, you know, what kind of degree, what kind of competencies have they got in terms of communication skills or numerical skills or whatever it is so helping them to understand that and in so doing then being able to help their workforce be the best that they can be and also actually remove perhaps some of the workplace stresses because I'm sure as well a lot of businesses will know you know you've had people in a role they've done brilliantly you say right let's promote let's get them to do this 
job over here, this project, and it all goes wrong because actually the skill set for that role was completely different from that one. Um, not everybody is great at everything. It's about what's the best way to get the best out of people and make people work together. So we do that a lot for businesses. And for businesses that don't come to you asking for support and that's thinking, well, that's not, that's just box ticking or whatever. What would you say to them? Because the, you must hit a certain amount of resistance occasionally. People say, well, that's not for us. Why do we need it? That kind of thing. Actually, increasingly less so, Mick. I think there is a recognition when you look at how many business owners themselves are neurodiverse. I, uh, I collected an award about two years ago and I was thinking, what am I doing here? There are all these businesses who are getting awards for multi-million pound exports and things like that. And why am I here? And they read my name out and I just, and then, and they, you know, and I thought, oh my God, they've asked, I've won something. And I got up and I said, I really don't know why I'm here. I've listened to what these amazing companies are doing. I said, but all I can say is that all the research says that 35% of business owners are neurodiverse. And then this big cheer went up and then it was like Spartacus for the rest of the awards. Because everybody who got up said, I've got dysgraphia, I've got dyscalculia, I've got wow. dyspraxia. Um, you know, I think that there is that recognition that diversity is good for business, whether it's neurodiversity, racial diversity, sexual diversity. Diversity is good for business. That is part of the universal design. And we should celebrate difference, not not push people away who aren't like us because actually when it comes to human beings genetically you know we have an awful lot in common um and that actually you know difference is what what makes you know what makes life fun and exciting it would be a very dull world wouldn't it if we were all the same and uh, we know that certain types of neurocognitive capacities thrive in certain types of professions and careers and and you know the world is a richer place for that and we've all got family friends colleagues who are neurodiverse they might not have it written on their forehead but they are these are all spectrums you know it's not an on-off switch it's a really diverse kind of uh you know and if you think i mean you know it's that thing is if you think that there are these two tiny cells that come together that create a human being you know, it's really, you know, unimaginably intelligent, isn't it? And I think we're only really just beginning to understand what human potential is and how some of our traditional beliefs have actually held people back. You know, we used to make left-handed children write with their right hand. Um, you know, who decided that writing with your right hand was, was a sign of intelligence when you're left-handed? So it's about challenging some of our pre-existing beliefs and testing hypotheses about, well, could we do things differently? Would it be better if it was this way? Would it be more successful? Is this member of staff going to be happier and healthier and enjoy their job more and be more productive and be a better team member? Um, you know, it is about it is about enabling, whereas I think historically we've disabled people who are different. We have excluded people who are different for whatever reason they might be different. Um, you know, whether they're a Liverpoolian or an Evertonian, you know, we have a lot more in common than... You know, we share a great city, don't we? You know, whether you're a blue or a red, um, you know, difference is good. What a complicated subject, Mick, and uh, fascinating to hear from Tony there. I mean, Tony made it so easy. He's he's um, 
Well, he, he's told it about his own background as a kid and found it very, very difficult and was written off by people. But thankfully, we are a little bit more um, aware of ADHD than, than we maybe were 20 or 30 years ago. And I think the support he can offer to companies and organisations is absolutely invaluable. And so having a more diverse workforce will actually benefit the company as well as the individuals. It's, it's amazing to see how much more engagement there is with the ADHD Foundation across society, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it, it's fantastic to know that they're based here in Liverpool, even though they are, of course, a national charity. If you want to find out more, then go onto their website. Uh, they are based here on St. James Street in the Baltic Triangle, but obviously they're on the internet as well, where you can find out a lot more. So this episode, Mick, I've been along to Space by Liquid, which is a 2,500 square foot full service studio in the Baltic Triangle. It's complete with its own infinity code for photographic shoots, events and exhibitions. And I popped along to have a chat with the studio manager there, Jake Nolan, to find out what they've been up to and how they intend to be an integral part of Liverpool's creative landscape going forwards. So I joined um, Space by Liquid uh, only fairly recently. So we've opened this studio space in the Baltic Triangle. Um, effectively, what we wanted to do was open a high quality adaptive space for photo shoots, exhibitions, big production, events and, and, and the like in, in Liverpool. And Liquid Agency, which, which is the kind of company behind it, have been a creative agency in Liverpool for 20 years now, constantly been going away using these spaces um, for our shoots. We, we deal mostly with, with fashion brands and lifestyle. That's where it came from um, and they got me in to run it. I mean, I've been down there to see the space. It's a fantastic space. The thing I love about it is it's quite adaptive. It lends itself really nicely to being used for different projects. The initial idea was to do Space by Liquid. The, the plan was just to use it in-house because uh, the, the agency is that busy. At the moment, we're doing kind of two free shoots um, a week. What's been great is local community and local creators have been using it. But, but also what's been brilliant is um, you know, we've had big brands in. New Balance have been in a few times. Um, you know, we had a Nike shoot with, with local seven stores, so that was really good because it was like big brand Nike, but then also local seven store. Um, we're shooting, um, and, and we, you know, Liverpool One have used it. Um, so we've we've only been open about two months, but we've had plenty of cool stuff in there. Um, and yeah, what's great is, I mean, for us, you know, we've proved that we can do it, and it's a viable business. But also, we've proved that there is a need for something this high quality in Liverpool and in the Baltic. Well, there's definitely a need for it. I mean, we, you know, there's, as you rightly said, there's so many creative uh, people now in the, the area that uh, these spaces are few and far between. And it's great to see how busy you guys are and what you've been doing. Um, give us some sense of where you are then in the Baltic, just for people that don't necessarily know where space is. So, yeah, Liquid's moved over to the old gold room in Camp of Furnace, and it's a big sort of fit, and the studio's kind of attached to it. I used to put on events there some time ago now. Um, it was a bit grotty, it was a bit dark, a bit damp and a bit smelly. But it's quite funny, actually, how it's gone full circle. As I say, I used to put on so it was terrible dance nights in there, and now, now we put on high-quality shoots in there. Can you give us some sense of, of what you plan to use it for going forward? Yeah, so predominantly it's been used for shoots so far, just because that's kind of our... Bread and meat, really, and um, and that's kind of where the where the needs been. Um, but we had our opening nights. Um, we had the Baltic area, uh, sort of first schmooze since the pandemic um, in there, which is great. It's good to meet kind of local people. But I think what we'd like to do more of is um, 
so it's exhibition exhibitions more more of the kind of events that we're doing we're talking about doing some of the minute um events wise with uh, a partnership with Suzuki and also with Modern Sky with David Bowie. Um, so it's an exhibition that's coming up um, and something that we're talking about doing with the Baltic area um, in regards to maybe helping out the creators in Ukraine and showcasing their stuff. Um, but doing more, more, more kind of just pushing the boundaries, really, trying to make it as adaptive as possible. Um, that's kind of, if I was doing the same thing every day, I'd probably get bored. And there's so much we can do with this space. And then, then uh, I think we just kind of push the boat out as far as we can take it, really. Well, that leads me beautifully on to that you know just just the amount of uh, engagement that you've got personally with the Baltic. I mean, there's been quite an interesting and exciting announcement recently for you. Um, I believe you've got a new role with the Baltic Triangle Area CIC. Is that right? I've joined the Baltic Triangle Area as a as director of partnerships, which sounds very official, really, doesn't it? I should get some business cards or something made. I don't know. They still going. Um, but yeah, no, I've worked and played in the Baltic for many a moon and. I love this area and I've spent a couple of years working from home, so I've moved back into the area with this role and yeah, I was quite sort of keen to engage with local stakeholders in the area and whatnot because I knew how it worked and how it felt when we came in with space, you know, we didn't want it to be closed doors, I wanted it to kind of feel like we were, we were welcome to the area and, and kind of through that engagement and going for coffees and going for pints with people, I believe there was a couple of uh, vacancies on the board and for me since I've I've got involved in a, in, a, in another project um but but no honestly it's 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 really good for me and I'm hoping that I can kind of make a bit of an impact and looking forward to kind of working with other people who who've got like a, a love for the area and and who have sort of invested in trying to make things happen I think it's from a personal point of view it's really good to see people like you local people really really engaged and passionate about the area as well where do you think is the best fit for you in, in within that role? Deep. Um, yeah, no, I think it's a good question. I think it's something I've been considering myself. You know, it's very early days. I think the board is 12 members strong, and I think there's six new people, which I'm one of them. Um, so obviously there's... There's, it's a, it's not starting from from new, but but there's a kind of sense of oh there's there's a freshness and a newness about this really, um, and you know I'm quite excited about that. Obviously post pandemic as well, there's probably um, people have left the area, some new people have come in, so there's there's plenty of us to be getting on with really. And um, in regards to me, I'm, I suppose I'm just quite personable, and I like I'm believer in collaboration, I'm believer in community, um, so just kind of making those relationships both locally but also further afield you know if we can create some relationships with other areas um there's kind of there's a big going on at the moment with so kind of partnership with rope walks and and uh, chinatown but also trying to trying to make creative things happen um trying to if we can kind of connect a few dots from what's happening in the studio and push that into into the area um i'm you know Kind of, I used to do a lot of events, kind of passionate about music and whatnot. So if we can kind of help out there and cross the bridge between maybe corporate Baltic and, and a nighttime Baltic, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm seeing maybe I can help out. I know how important uh, it is for you personally to be involved in community-based projects. And one project that I know you're a big, big part of is uh, the football club, uh, Sefton Park Rangers. How did the club come about and how do you get involved in the community? Me and a friend, I, uh, Alex, uh, started um, SBR in 2019. Uh, we wanted to get back involved in playing sort of grassroots amateur football, um, but we didn't feel like there was a football club that maybe represented us um, that we could kind of go and enjoy really uh, at the 
at the very sort of poor level that we, we play at. Um, and that kind of led us on to a bigger conversation, I suppose, with being being creative, I suppose, is uh, was there a football team that represented the community that we loved and that we that, that we lived in, um, which is kind of the Sefton Park, uh, Lark Lane, Smithstown, you know, type of area. Um, so we started the team and, it, you know, we, we made it inclusive and, and we got quite quickly got some big involvement and we, we put down some community roots. But then the pandemic happened. Something quite special happened in the pandemic, really, in the sense of we we realised that we had, you know, 40, 50, 60 lads invested in the community that couldn't be in the same room, that couldn't play football, but still wanted to kind of do some good. So we started doing a lot of fundraising, like a lot of kind of community activity. Um, we ran the distance virtually or socially distanced um, from Liverpool to Amsterdam and raised some money for the Flory in the Dingle, made about five grand, which was acting as a, a food bank at the time to, to those in need. We did a run for the NHS. We do a weekly food bank. We kind of just want to do as much good through the medium of football, I suppose, that we can. We've grew to two teams. Um, I think we're... I think I'm allowed to say I won't get slapped by the other committee members that we're going to be launching the women's team pretty soon, which would be great. Um, and yeah, you know, again, it's another kind of labour of love, really. Um, but but something that's hugely exciting, that's that's massively rewarding, and, and ultimately, I, I still like putting my boots on, but also like getting with the lads and doing the litter picks and getting us all together. And and I think yeah, I think it's good. Admirable, very admirable, uh, and I know that there's something special about that club. You play in uh, in a total football way, and you try and use the ethos from the Cruyff era in in, in Holland. Is that right? Yeah, we try. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a little bit of a mixture of all the things there. Is in in sense of um, you know, I'm a I'm a huge football geek, really, uh, kind of ingrained in with, with me dad. I'm also a little bit of a marketeer. Um, as are a couple of other people in the club, so we can lean on things there. Um, but yeah, no, I've my dad's favourite team is always that '88 uh, Holland side, and he always pushed that to me. And when we were talking about how our brand would work, how that would work, you know, Alex, who had founded the club with, was a creative as well and designer, and we wanted it to feel very European, like the city. Um, so we used we used those those colours, those 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 branding and. Um, kind of that, that, that Dutch sort of style and that's bred into how we try and play football. You know, we, we do kind of practice what we preach and try and push the total football. And it's not all about, you know, keeping it on the deck, but if you if anyone's read the, the, the Cruyff books like me and our Bicky, it's, it's more about that, it's about how we kind of treat each other on and off the pitch and being there for each other. And yeah, we use the lines, total football and total community there, like our two, two ethoses. Yeah. And you play in orange, don't you? We do, all orange, yeah, yeah, so we full on Dutch vibe, yeah, and the away kids, white and orange, um, which, yeah, you know, it's great, that, that, that. I've got a, you know, we do, we do a lot of merch as well, I've got an orange scarf on now, I know it's, this is uh, audio, but, but yeah, they're available to buy on seftonparkrangers.com if you want as well. But, you know, it, all that's kind of cool, and we really enjoy doing it, because like I said, there's creatives involved in the club, but, but it's also... It, it, what it's kind of come to now is what we're trying to do is show that you know the grassroots amateur game can be creative, can kind of push the brownies, and you know we have had a little bit of sort of brands and sponsors involved that maybe you necessarily wouldn't get at our level, um, which is not me bragging, but I actually feel like what we can do is maybe kind of spread that, and what I'm hoping to do is is um, you know try and maybe help other clubs in the grassroots and how they can kind of get involved because it is really difficult to run, uh, you know there's. 
It's not a lot of pitch space. Things are getting more expensive. The grassroots game and the amateur game is is it needs a little bit of sort of life breathing into it really. And we you know we've we've, we've done that and I'll continue to do that. And anything we can do to help anybody else, we we try and do as well. So if anybody's interested in coming along to give you some vocal support, shall we say, or buying a scarf and that, give me that website again and tell me how they can find out about your games. Yeah, so, you know, we're, we're, we're on all the socials. Is it? I think we're, ah, I should know really, I said, we're at SBR underscore CFC, which is where we're kind of most mostly active, but we have got a site as well, which we try and keep on top of, um, which is seftonparkrangers.co.uk. Um We've got a first and second team at the moment, and we both play out of um, Lodge Lane and the Tiber Centre, which is brilliant. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an old, it was an old pitch for years that kind of local Toxteth teams used, and it was made into a, a 4G about four or five years ago, and it's ran by the Greenhouse Project, which is a local charity, children's charity, and I think all the money that's made through football at the centre goes back into that charity so that was that was another reason why we played there as well as it being local and uh, a lot of the lads like getting a shawarma after the game on Lodge Lane as well so yeah come down support um, every game as well we we welcome our fans or, or spectators whatever you want to call them to, to bring down um, food and tins and stuff and then we take that to the food bank the following week. I absolutely love the way that you are so genuine and authentic about what you do and how you do it. I know how passionate you are about stuff in the community and making a difference. Just finishing off then, I mean, how can we keep in touch with what's happening at, uh, at, the, at the studio space? Yeah, just, just follow the social medias, I suppose, and um, or just come down, uh, you know, you can always send me an email, I suppose, at Jake at Space by Liquid. Follow our social media channels um, at Space by Liquid. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm so keen to do this as well as speaking to it, lovely fellow like yourself Mark was um, a rip. the big exciting f- thing for me to get involved in this is we, you know it, it's a, it can be a huge creative outlet and a hub for for the city and for the Baltic and yeah you know it's great having brands involved and whatnot and you know that really is good and, and exciting for me personally and, and, and the studio and the agency but actually having local creators using um, a facility this good um, getting them involved kind of brainstorming ideas and whatnot is kind of what gets me out of bed in the morning so so yeah come come forward and let's have a chat let's have a brew or you know maybe a pint mate i know how busy you are i really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with us and i just want to say congratulations on your appointment too as a director of partnerships and uh watch this space no pun intended yeah all the pun intended mate yeah now i use that all the time yeah all the pun intended So it's really interesting to see just how much Jake has an involvement with the community in in all areas of what he does. Um, And and, and especially with the football team he's got going on there, Sefton Park Rangers. The other thing that I found really exciting, Mick, was Jake's appointment to the board of the Baltic Triangle Area CIC, um, with particular interest in the partnerships. And I'm really sure that's going to yield fantastic partnerships going forward. Talking of opportunities, Mick, we've got an exciting opportunity of our own, haven't we? Yeah, we have our sponsorship with Talk Talk Future Fibre finished on the last episode. It was a three-month contract. We're looking for potential sponsors, people who want to sponsor the Baltic Triangle podcast. And so if you're interested, then do get in touch with us and we'll talk about the opportunity. The email address is... It's info at baltictrianglepodcast.com. That's info at baltictrianglepodcast.com. And if you've got any good ideas for future interviewees, then again, it's that same email address again. 
Well, that's just about it for us for this episode. As Mick said, we're three years in, 35 episodes plus now. So uh, if you do get a chance to give us a nice review, then please do. And uh, it's been our pleasure as ever to talk to you this time around. So take care of yourselves and we'll speak to you again soon. Yeah, we'll speak to you next month. Have a good month. <laughs>